Hello and welcome back to Think Green. We are your host, the Inner Sustainability Council at UC San Diego. I'm Olivia. And I'm Adam. Today, we are going to be talking about fast fashion, consumerism, and capitalism. So just as a little disclaimer, um, in talking about capitalism and how it relates to sustainability, we just have to go with the understanding that capitalism as an economic system is inherently unsustainable. Um, and this is because the health of our economy relies on people being active consumers and producers. And then in order to be included in society, you have to work. Um, the answer to the question of why this is, is because you need money to afford your basic needs, which inherently makes you a consumer. And some of those basic needs can be things such as water, housing, food, healthcare, and even just clothes in general, like we're going to talk about today. Um, and because you do, you have to purchase them because they're privatized goods um, under the system of capitalism. Um, and I don't know if you've taken note just by kind of just looking at the industry itself lately, or just overall, um, it actively relies on making profit through the method of production and consumption. It has uh, processes of manufacturing and it has marketing that targets um, trying to get people to consume those products. And I think kind of when, when you get to think about that a little bit more, it kind of makes you curious about what conditions are even taking place in order for these large batches of clothes to be made in the first place. So the whole industry of fast fashion, um, it's a business model that relies on um, mass production isn't even really the right phrase for it. It's, it's mass production on the most massive scale possible. It's these gigantic clothing companies churning out thousands upon thousands of garments every single day. Um, and these industries, they actively rely on making profit through uh, the methods of production and consumption, as we said, and that takes form with fast fashion um, by way of making clothing very quickly and at very low quality so that it encourages people to buy a, a garment, wear it a few times, and then either forget about it or throw it away because they start to wear through it. Mm -hmm. I think it was interesting because... When this Bernadette Banner YouTube video came out, um, and if you don't know who Bernadette Banner is, she's a fashion historian, and she uh, published this video about how Victorians possibly could have contributed to um, fast fashion and kind of the commonalities that we see with fast fashion back then, or kind of like the beginnings of what would be fast fashion and, and how it's playing out at the moment. And kind of directly related to like what you said there is kind of this de I don't know if desensitization is the right word but it's like we we don't really know how quality clothes are supposed to be like anymore because we're so used to this low quality um these cheap versions of garments like you said that I think people are really easily or convinced to, that they can like throw away get rid of them easily and just replace the items in their closet pretty pretty easily too um I know I think we were, I was talking about this with you before, um, but I know like on some occasions, like my cousin, like she, like an event is coming up and she 
in order like if there's a theme for for instance maybe like there's going to be like a birthday dinner there's a theme set around that um she and my other cousins just kind of want to know in advance what's gonna take place so that um they can kind of scroll through these fast fashion sites and buy um clothes that fits the occasion and i have seen them i think so far throughout this past year every time i hear like an event is happening it's so interesting because i just like hear them talking about wanting to buy some new outfit mm -hmm. or dress that would go with the occasion. Um, and I think it's just like crazy how it's, you can buy an item that frequently, even though you might already have things in your closet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in this YouTube video that we're talking about, it's, it's titled, Are Victorians Responsible for Fast Fashion? Um, and it's a video that Bernadette Banner made um, partnering with Dr. Serena Dyer who is a historian of women, fashion, consumption, and material culture um, through the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, and so they talk in this video about the idea that the fast fashion that we experience today may actually have started sometime in the Victorian era based on the idea of just improving convenience. Mm -hmm. And then some of the, just the general key elements and comparisons that they did use to kind of talk about then versus now was speed marketing and uh, manufacture, and I think that's kind of how we're gonna go along with talking about the fast fashion industry within this podcast a little bit. Um, and then just paying attention like to this first key element, speed. Um, like what was mentioned before, I um, there's this need for like convenience. There's a decline of um, homemade clothing being made because it is, is, it is more convenient to buy ready-made clothing. Um, but I think that Thing that I thought was really interesting when I was watching the episode it's how while right now we think that this ready-made clothing is really cheap it is cheap like you look on Shein it's like what like three dollars for like a piece sometimes yeah. even cheaper um, but back then in Victorian times it was really expensive uh, to buy like new fashion and I think even ready-made garments like if you were because of how frequently it's not as frequently as now but because trends were uh, changing pretty frequently um, people were constantly buying new fashion and the way that someone of a lower socioeconomic status would keep up with that is by kind of adorning what they already have and adding on to garments that they had via just like hand stitching and you know like homemade clothing processes yeah because I mean especially in the Victorian era especially in the earlier part of it mm -hmm. before clothing and the entire fashion industry was really industrialized, you have to consider like the production of fabrics alone mm -hmm. was at the same type of slow rate that clothing production was. So fabrics were so much more expensive even to just produce. And that translated to being much more expensive on the consumer side mm -hmm. of being able to buy them. That's why like most, if you look at Victorian but I'll just say lower class clothing, you won't see a lot of, you know, silk brocades or even like something like a, a silk tarlatan. Mm -hmm. You're not, ooh, that's not what tarlatan <laughs> is. Tarlatan is horsehair canvas or something. <laughs> what am I thinking of? I don't know. It's something. It's a particular weave that makes it kind of shiny, but not. It's weird. Um, but you're, you're going to see more of like woolen broadcloth. You're going to see more like just basic cotton or linen fabrics that don't really have like in themselves a very 
ostentatious or like high presentable mm. quality. It's the the clothing is made less simple through the cut and construction. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting now because like, the thing that instantly came to my head was like fabrics now and the clothes that's made now and it's all like synthetic and it's it's like processed materials mm-hmm. and I think if we're de- like we're talking about like the environmental impacts um like these fabrics release microplastics when you're washing them even just making them is really intensive and to kind of think that Think about just the general shift from those more like natural materials to like these more synthetic ones is is also a pretty interesting choice. Um, but I guess I understand it from a perspective. Maybe it is. Um, I guess now, yeah, it's cheaper now to kind of have those products available. But yeah. yeah, that's just something that reminded me, like what you were talking about, it reminded me of that a little bit. Oh, it's taffeta. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Silk taffeta. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think kind of this other thing uh, we were talking about, like it still falls under speed, but um, kind of similar to how our social media works now, um, there was, I wouldn't necessarily call it social media, but there was a form of advertisement um, that would kind of want people uh, to buy, not buy, but it it just made them aware of certain trends that were happening. Mm -hmm. Those were fashion plates. Um, I remember from watching the video, that they were usually the fashion place that you would receive were usually uh two years older so the items that you were seeing on those fashion plates were older um and then uh, you see kind of moving forward um there is an increase uh there's they're made quickly so you're seeing the transition into fashion magazines fashion newspapers which um, get produced more quickly than the two-year like delay mm-hmm. with the fashion plates, um, and then it kind of goes into this. I feel like that contributes to like fashion seasons and then yes, cycles. I was about to say, yeah. yeah, yeah, because modern fashion magazines. I'm fairly certain I haven't I haven't looked into a lot of um, the these collections of the fashion plates mm-hmm. from the Victorian era, but um, I'm just kind of assuming that modern fashion magazines are going to have a much larger quantity of Mm. like photos of new garments, um, information on like where they're sold and stuff. Um, And it's just, it's another thing that is both a product of and a a contributor to the new need for speed Mm. in the fashion industry. Mm. I I know we were talking about this too, the other... Thing, just general trends that we see now. I thought when the show Wednesday came out, it was so interesting how, like for me on my TikTok page, I saw people like mimicking the style. Um, so a lot of like the black and white, trying to find items that you found in the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of shows you like kind of how speedy it has gotten, um, how quickly trends are like um, fading out. Because I remember I also came across this other video where it was people who actually like frequently... I don't know if frequently is the right word, but consistently um, dress in that way or they consistently follow that aesthetic. Um, the TikToks that they were making were, oh my God, like I can't wait for all of this stuff to end up in the, the store so that I don't have to buy it like at a full, mm. a full price. Um, and it's, I think that in itself is pretty interesting because it's at a point, how frequently the choices the, that clothes is getting replaced 
is so expected that this whole group that maybe maybe the closest in their aesthetic they they can just wait and for the, that close to just be put in the thrift store and then get it then um i don't know it's just i think that really speaks to how quickly the fashion cycle is yeah. happening it's, yeah it's definitely driven a lot by social media now mm-hmm. because i mean even the discussion around how quickly things move on social media, I feel like for Gen mm-hmm. Z, it started, like, the conversation started around memes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But also, like, everything is driven by social media now. Mm-hmm. Like, do you remember the whole water bottle thing? Oh, where, yeah. Where, like, TikTok wasn't, or, like, the, the company wasn't compensating the creators that were, like, showing off this water bottle. Mm-hmm. That whole thing happened, like... I don't even know how long ago because I've had so much more content that has been new and constantly updated mm-hmm. every what week and a half yeah. since I, it happened. I, like I literally couldn't right. tell you when, when that whole fiasco mm-hmm. like happened and when people were talking about it. Yeah. There's basically like new trends every week. And I think just in general, like when we're looking at the aesthetic, it's interesting how like we talked about uh, the specific aesthetic cottage core, and how even though it started as a movement that was intended to be like very anti-capitalistic and kind of against, um, you know, against consumerism, basically, you're using what you had, you're thrifting like items, you're living away from the system that is capitalism. And then with social media, TikTok, it being posted widely. And I think even the pandemic kind of contributed to that, too. Um, there was this need for escapism that was happening. And it was interesting. I thought it was interesting how it went from a movement to just, uh, I guess, a marketing consumer aspect. Now people are buying things just because they fit the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's crazy because it did start off as an anti-capitalist movement, but now it is one that falls within the realm of capitalism. Yeah. Hey, hey, welcome to greenwashing. <sighs> We're back again. Oh, um. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and I think, um, yeah, definitely watch out for greenwashing. Oh my god. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about greenwashing a little bit more <laughs> later and ways to stay away from it. Um, but kind of going back to, like, the video, it kinda, they, they kind of start to talk about marketing now and how um, with, I guess, the production of these magazines and stuff, it kind of starts to become popular for runways to become a thing fashion shows Mm -hmm. and those start off as private and exclusive really informal events um and it isn't until the edwardian era that fashion shows kind of become a staple um and it just helps really to further like i don't know popularity is just getting i cannot even speak (laughs) the (laughs) popularity of these shows is just getting bigger bigger like you know we have now like even right now just looking at it there's so many fashion season cycles Mm -hmm. there's constant shows um, that mimic like the the really beginning uh, shows that were happening at the time too. Um, and the like, it's important to note that the hey brain. It's important to note also that it's really in you know the very end of the Victorian era and through the Edwardian era because I mean the Edwardian era is only. 10 years it's Mm -hmm. 1901 to 1911 or something yeah um but it's within that period of such a short time 
when ready-to-wear garments really took off. Mm -hmm. And it's because, like, high street fashion was then dominated by the idea of the fashion season Mm -hmm. from these runway shows. And I've, I've seen a bunch of YouTube videos about how designs are modified to fit, like, different... I don't even know like how to what to call them. They're different markets, but like based on effectively socioeconomic class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the huge variety of even just the way the designs can change individually, um, it just like it kind of ballooned into the situation that we have now where we effectively have 52 different micro-seasons throughout the year, one for each week. And especially with manufacturers like Shein, where they put out what? I think it's like 2,000 to 10,000. Yeah, 2,000 to 10,000 new designs. Not even... I think it's per day. Is it is it new designs or new items? Because I thought it was... I know some designs. Okay. They, I just know that they, they'll slightly shift the design and then right. try to resell it. Yeah. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean... They list, yeah, 2,000 to 10,000 new items. Daily. Daily. It's and crazy. Yeah, I mean, like, the just speaking about, like, the numbers of Xi'an in general, too, um, I stumbled across um, this Instagram channel, channel, yeah, a channel <laughs> called Impact and, and Environment, um, and those are uh, accounts that make posts about socially impactful content, and I stumbled like across a post about Shein in general and it's literally what we were saying earlier got 2,000 to 10,000 items being pushed out daily and there was this comparison that I saw um, across different brands um, Gap is 12,000 different items um, get listed I think throughout like the year um, H&M 25,000 Zara 35,000 Shein 1.3 million Whoa. <laughs> in the year so that's yeah there's a lot of just new and it's it's just crazy because it literally you shift the design of the especially with Xi'an you shift mm-hmm. you shift the design of the clothes just a little bit um and they I think they have this like method where it's like they do like test batches and then if it gets popular then they'll start producing like a bigger batch mm. um and they yeah I know that that's something new that they started to do um, but then again, I don't think something like that is going to help with, like, sustainability or whatever. No, because, absolutely not. Yeah, you have to account for the processes that it takes, like, to get that close made. I mean, and just even paying attention to um, the workers who are then having to make these garments. Mm-hmm. How are they pushing out 10,000 to, like, 2,000 to 10,000 daily? Is I can't imagine the conditions. The conditions no. are horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you have to think about then. What then happens to all of those garments that don't take off and that they don't decide to list as mm-hmm. new designs? That's true. Just landfill yeah, trash. Yeah, just immediately landfill, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think something else that I thought was worth mentioning from the post specifically was um, kind of the impact that, I think it was just in general about ultra-fast fashion, where it's like 10% um, global carbon emissions are result from fast fashion. Um, 352 million barrels of petroleum for plastic fibers for the for the clothes that's being made um 20 global wastewater and then there's even factors like garment work um worker exploitation so there's so many factors to to really think about when you're looking within 
um, not just Shein alone, but just like fast fashion industries and just other companies who are making these large quantities of clothes. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that you can do to kind of avoid fast fashion, obviously is thrifting. Um, but even if you do thrift, you still aren't really safe from these garments that are productions of fast fashion. I mean, obviously, because it's people donating these garments to thrift sh um, shops mm -hmm. to be sold. Um, like, I got I got this little cardigan that I love so much. It's this nice little, like, blue and red plaid. Um, and I was, like, really surprised by how well it was keeping up until the buttonholes just kind of all started pulling away from the fabric because it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a loose weave, but still like they're buttonholes. They shouldn't really be doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I looked at the tag and I was met with this glaring, like all caps Shein tag. It was a Shein cardigan that I found in a thrift shop. Yeah. I felt so betrayed. <laughs> I, yeah, I did too. Lately I go into thrift shops. Everything's like Shein. I feel bad because I'm like, I go there expecting to find maybe, maybe not like vintage clothes like all the time, but at least some like higher quality. I remember going in there before buying really nice jeans, just yes. general pants. Like I recently got like a tailored, I it was tailored for somebody. <laughs> I bought it because it, it was nice. But it was tailored pants, these nice jeans. Um, and now I'm kind of like, has, I mean, I still go to thrift stores, but I'm like, I'm hesitant to go to some as frequently just because the sheer amount of Shein things I see every time I walk in, it's not even just Shein, it's like the Target brand. It's yeah. like, um, I don't know. There's just so many like fast fashion items and I don't want to touch them because the quality is not as good. I think my mentality going in is like, oh, I want something that's like thicker, like nicer quality. And it kind of, this is kind of making me think back to the YouTube video. I'm like, is it actually quality items? Or am I just used to like receiving lower quality things all the time? So yeah. I think it's nice. Plus, I mean, we don't really have any alternatives mm -hmm. to this fast fashion system other than really focusing on supporting slow fashion brands. Um, you know, accepting the fact that clothes are supposed to be investments. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to be very expensive because it is supposed to take people quite a bit of time to make a single garment. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, that's how it was in the early Victorian era. And then all the rest of the way earlier through history mm -hmm. is that these people, especially people who are wealthy enough to be buying high fashion or even to be buying clothing rather than making it themselves mm -hmm. at home. Yeah. It was very expensive because it's, it's hours and hours and hours of work mm -hmm. that gets put into these garments. Um, and we actually have another Bernadette Banner YouTube video about that subject where, um, she bought a knockoff of her own dress that was listed on one of these, you know, ultra fast fashion websites. I think websites. it was Shein. I think it was Shein. Was it? Uh-huh. Oh my God. They would, honestly. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, it might have been Shein. Um, but it's one of those sites where they take, you know, the picture that the, the actual creator posts in the garment and they list it on their website for, in this case, it was like $40. Mm. Um, and then when you buy it, you get this 
just really thin it like not at all structurally sound Mm -hmm. the quality is so it's so bad quote unquote garment yeah that i mean she was saying she she got the dress and then in her review she was saying that it it felt like worse quality than those halloween costumes that you buy at like a halloween store wear one year for halloween and then either never wear again and they sit in your closet or get thrown away. Mm. And it's just, I mean, she put, she says that she put $240 into just the supplies Mm -hmm. and materials for that dress. It was for reference. It was, um, a reconstruction of a time, a wheel of time. dress. No, that was Moraine's dress. This is, this dress was the medieval, Mm. um, it was a medieval gown with, it had these like silk inner sleeves. It was really cool. Watch the video. Um, but it's, it's a reconstruction from a painting. And so she also had to fully draft the pattern and then, you know, make it by hand because she works mm-hmm. in historical practice. So she's not using a sewing machine because they didn't have sewing machines in the 1400s. So <laughs> it's, it's just really horrible seeing this you know quote unquote clothing Mm -hmm. that is being sold to us as such high quantities that and that we're buying at such high quantities i mean Mm -hmm. the the eu parliament put out a report in 2019 that said that the amount of clothing purchased per person has increased by 40 percent in the past like circa 30 years and that's a huge increase I mean, I think just looking at the number alone, like, you can tell there's a big devaluation in terms of, like, the craftsmanship that goes behind making garments. It's literally, like, you don't expect to buy an item that's going to last you that long. You're buying it maybe because it's trendy or maybe just to satisfy, like, some temporary feeling of, like, happiness. Um, There's definitely not, like, deep thought going behind um, the item that you're purchasing and how long it's going to last you, how long you're going to use it for, how you can probably like work it into like your other items. Maybe you're like, you're buying it. I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to wear this, this one, this one item pair. Mm-hmm. Like that would be nice. Um, but yeah, there's just a devaluation of like the craftsmanship that goes behind it. I think that's sad. Um, I know just like in terms of buying slow fashion, I recently bought this like little corset top and it's from this uh, designer on Instagram called Yo-Yo Creates and um, they just, they have, uh, you know, it's a slow made fashion process. They're, they're taking their time making these corsets um, using, um, I don't think it's thrifted fabrics, but it's fabric that's saved. Um, oh. Like, <laughs> brain fart. <laughs> It's my brain is giving me cabbage because that's what you call like the scraps when you're working with fabric. Yeah. That, like after you cut your pattern out, but mm-hmm. yeah, but it's it's like recycled post production, fa- post production like fabrics, fabric. like and like it was for me it was definitely an investment. I think the corset alone is probably like two hundred dollars. And the thing is, like, I really enjoy it. Like, the quality is really good, especially compared to like I I buy things for like Runfair and. Like one, I'm gonna admit, like one time, like last minute, I needed something and I bought like a really cheap version mm. of a corset and like 
it's not meant to last. Like already part of it's falling off. But like me, I'm gonna hand stitch it and see how like use it as long as I can. Right. But it's like just comparing it to something else that I have, the quality difference. There's such a difference. I know it's gonna last me. Like however, it's I think it's gonna last a while. Maybe it will surpass some surpass me. I don't know. <laughs> it all depends on how well I decide to take care of it. Was it tailored to you? No. Oh, it wasn't even, and it's still like yeah. Wow. But I think. It, and like that worked out because it's like you're just lacing it up the back right so it, yeah. it doesn't even have to be like an exact um measurement like the pat like victorian corsets or yeah. like past corsets but yeah i think like pers- i think for me personally like i'm definitely trying to invest more in slow fashion like quality items like vintage items and i know like some people find vintage items like expensive but like the fact that they're still lasting now or good quality now, I think that can kind of tells you something about the piece. Mm-hmm. Like it's gonna, I think it's gonna last. <laughs> it's gonna last you. There's a rule, like a rule of thumb type thing, mm-hmm. where if you buy a garment before you buy it, you should think to yourself, like, am I going to be able to wear this, or am I going to continue wearing this for? I think it's seven years, mm-hmm. um, and. I, I think that's a very useful tool because once you start going into buying clothing with that mindset, you start to notice, like, will this garment even hold up for seven years? And a lot of times the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Especially with these, <laughs> the, the, anything fast fashion produced. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you, like, if anyone listening, like, has bought fast fashion items, like, you can have been testified to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a lot to say about the environmental impacts of production of even just the textiles to then make the clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, oh, haha, plugging the UCSC sustainability website for a second in the green residence program, um, page, we have a bunch of tips about, you know, general aspects of sustainability and how they relate to individuals. Um, and one of our subject areas is fabrics and you know textiles and clothing and fast fashion um and we talk a little bit about the different materials um and how their production um Mm -hmm. differs like obviously we advise against synthetics Mm -hmm. because a they are arguably the most harmful to the environment both in production and in attempted care of the garments produced from them um, because they shed microplastics both in the washing process, but especially in the drying process. Mm -hmm. Um, And those microplastics, you know, end up in the oceans. They end up, um, if they're expelled from the dryer, they end up just kind of like in the environment around your home, Mm -hmm. like where your dryer is. Um, And then we talk about cotton and cotton is a really good, like it's one of the main natural fibers that's used for clothing, Mm -hmm. but it's such an intensely thirsty crop. It requires so much water just to produce enough cotton to make like one t-shirt. I I have the statistic pulled up. It takes, yeah, it's approximately 2,700 liters. Um, That's 713 gallons of water to produce one cotton t-shirt. Yeah. That's so a lot of water. <laughs> it's it's insanely thirsty. Um, so a better alternative to cotton, if you do 
like want to stick with cotton is recycled cotton um, because you know you don't have to grow it it's already been grown so finding garments that are made from recycled cotton is and especially organically recycled organically grown and then recycled cotton um, are very good but also my favorite one uh, of the plant-based fibers is linen I love linen. I Obsessed. love linen. I love the way it looks. I love the way it moves. Mm-hmm. Even though it's like the most wrinkly fabric that has ever existed on the planet, it I it looks so good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also um, one of the most sustainable because it the fl- it comes from the flax plant, which is not a very thirsty crop. Um, I I think we have actual statistics on it on the Green Labs, not Green Labs, the Green Residence site, um, but I don't remember if we actually ended up including them. Um, but it's it uses significantly less water than cotton. Um, it doesn't require the same levels of like fertilization that cotton does, um, and every part of the flax plant gets used in the production process. So like, I don't, I don't remember which parts of the plant go to like making the actual linen, but there's the parts that go to linen and then obviously there's flax seed. So the seeds from the, wow, what are they called? The like stalks of grain? I don't know. Um, the seeds then go to um, consumer markets for like grocery stores. Yeah, hey, that's the word. Um, so the entire plant gets used in the production of flax-based products, including linen. Um, and it's it's a very breathable fabric. It's one of the ones that's really good for keeping you cool in the summer, but still retaining a fairly nice amount of heat in the winter, um, especially with layering, obviously. Um, yeah, I just really love linen. I'm going to stop rambling about linen now. I'm obsessed but with linen, to, like, to, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, there's always wool, um, which is definitely... It's more sustainable than synthetics. Um, but it's... I don't remember how it compares to the plant-based. If you're a vegan consumer, then really look for recycled cotton and linen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Check out the the sustainability the UCSD sustainability page with the green residence program for more information on that we have links to resources there but yeah enough with our tangent yeah, about different types of fabrics <laughs> but yeah um oh and then I think some other thing to consider like I don't think we're going to get to talk about it in this podcast but we definitely would be having a follow-up about it is just the general like the working conditions that goes into closed production um it's a lot of like low-income women of color that are behind each of these garments being made they're they're sat in factories producing i think having to produce maybe up to like 500 garments per day like it is their conditions are pretty intense um they walk they work long hours throughout the week um yeah but i think we're definitely going to go into that a little bit more in a following podcast yeah um just so we can get more perspectives and i know i i got to learn a little bit about it when i was taking some of my communication classes and i remember watching this film called i think it's called blue china it's a documentary and you kind of see the journey you kind of follow the journey of 
one of these workers from the village to getting recruited into one of these factories, having to um, sew um, the jeans, like, I think it was like the jean buttons or something, pockets like properly, and just how intensive it really was, like people being packed into a dorm room together. The food is not, definitely not well-rounded enough. Um, if you miss a sick, like if things get, I mean, even just eating food there, it's not like it's free food. It's like, you're getting it cut out of your, your, your pay cut. And, yeah. and it's like, you're not even getting that much in the first place. Um, but yeah, just in general, I think gen- just be aware about that in general. Sweatshop labor, exploitation that happens behind fast fashion. And yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. One of the most frustrating things that I have ever encountered when talking about fast fashion is talking to people who make the argument that, yes, sweatshop labor is bad, but it helps the countries that use it or like that that these corporations base their production in it helps those countries develop and like i hear that but at the same time shouldn't basic human rights come first (laughs) yeah i agree with that so yeah i mean that's coming back to the little anti-capitalist part of this whole thing (laughs) yeah i mean it's definitely tied to capitalists because if you're looking at like the capital systems itself um, I took this class on capitalism and we were talking about the unfreedom, the unfreedom in capitalism and how because you are, you need money in order to buy your basic necessities, you are not necessarily free. Um, even though technically, you, like you don't have to go to school, like you don't have to work, you have that choice. But it's also, you don't... You will die. Yeah, you will die. Like, you do not have a choice because, yes, you need the money to buy these basic necessities. And for, at least for these workers, like, that's what's available around them to be able to afford some of these basic things. And even then, it's it's not enough for them, I think, to live really comfortably. Like, they're working, what, maybe, like, more than 50 hours per week. And I think that's crazy because, of course, you're not take, getting to take care of yourself. Like personally i'm like i don't know it's really unfortunate um this this cycle i get really frustrated talking about like this whole system and and i don't know it's just interesting too it's because but yeah no that's the end of my tangent that's i have more to talk about i mean there are ways to manipulate this system from the consumer side Mm -hmm. The only problem is that it takes a huge concerted effort Mm -hmm. from the entire consumer base to really change the behaviors of even just one corporation. So true. Like, there are times when it feels like the only way that things can change is if you kind of play it as like a double agent Mm -hmm. and, you know... Oh, very much. Get a business degree. Literally. Join up with one of these corporations, reach a high-ranking position, mm-hmm. and then you can start to make changes mm-hmm. that support the environment. But even then... I think even just trying to live away. Like, I remember yeah. watching, like, videos of these people trying to do, like, van life. Get, like, literally buying a cabin, trying to live, like, off the grid. But, of course, like, you still need to make revenue. Mm-hmm. So maybe they open, like, their small business or they have a YouTube channel so that you can follow but they're like they really are trying their best to be away from the system like isolate themselves away from it as much as possible but it's like you can't like if you want like thing basic things like um like healthcare like if you're going to use that you kind of have to be participating in the system otherwise you're not getting any of these like governmental supports that are being provided 
Yeah. I mean, like, even now when I think about it, I'm like, what is being provided to me? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, you don't really have a choice. I think even if you're living away, you're kind of going to be looked at as this other, um, some weird oddity, you know, not following the flow of the rest of society. Yeah. Living outside the norm. Yeah, it feels very uncontrollable, so we have to look to the things that we can control, like the way we buy clothing, and the way we use it, and the way we upkeep it, and, you know, just kind of, for right now, for the current sociopolitical climate, just accept the parts that we can't change, and work to make the parts that we can change, change more. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it for today, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you want to learn more about the Inner Sustainability Council at UC San Diego, follow us on Instagram at ISCUCSD or visit our website at isc.ucsd.edu.